You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth living, OJ, Juice, man, this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. golf fans, number one, one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, never been that fish tank. Welcome back to the Fish Tank right here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. Seth Levitt, DJ Preach, and of course, the man who makes it all go, OJ McDuffie. Juice, how you feeling today, man? What's up, Big Seth? And I don't know about the one that makes it all go, man, but you know, I mean, I I don't know. I think you're trying to get in my good graces these days, man. We've been trying. I think controversy on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I think now you're trying to get back in my good graces, man, but we'll, we'll see how this goes. You know, I was told I'm, I'm excited to have one of my former teammates in, as you know. One of your former teammates, a guy who's been discussed a lot in the tank, partially because we had somebody who he spent a lot of time next to in Richmond Webb here in the tank. So finally, we've completed it. Keith Sims, welcome to the tank, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to spending a little time in the tank. Yeah, it's it's about yeah, time. We got, we, got side, <laughs> side? Yeah, we got the left side, man. <laughs> there we got it the left is. Side. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That the left side, trust me. We do. We have. We put a lot of trust in you for a lot of years, man. And we're going to get to all of that. But what I need to know is, how is a guy who's from the Baltimore, Jersey area, how do you end up in Iowa for college ball? That's a, that's a great question and a very interesting story. Well, you know, I grew up in, born in Baltimore, grew up in New Jersey, went to high school there, played high school football there. And I was uh, not on a, what you consider a very good football team. Jeez, how many years did you play varsity football in high school? Did you start three. varsity? Three. three. I started three years of varsity football. How many games did you win as a senior? Twelve. All of them, he said. <laughs> one. You could have played in my <laughs> In my three years of starting varsity football, I won a total of seven football games. Oh, wow. man. So we weren't very good, okay? Even though I was a big kid, I was 600 you know, 6'3", 300 pounds. So I did get recruited by Rutgers, West Virginia, not Penn State, Pitt, what? schools, Boston College, those guys, because our football team sucked. So we didn't have the traffic coming back in to recruit me at that right. point. And a recruiter came and actually went to visit uh, Tony Saragusa because we went, we played against each other in high school, that kind of stuff. And they said, hey, you got to go check out this Sims kid. So our, the recruiter from Iowa State came, came by to see me. I liked him. His name was Frankie DeAlonzo. He was like, come check out Iowa State. I was like, sure, I'll do a recruiting trip out to the Midwest. Check it out. I wanted to study engineering. It was an outstanding school of science and technology. I went out there and I said, you know what? This is pretty cool. I can play in the Big Eight. The best two teams in the country back then, the old Big Eight, Oklahoma and Nebraska. That's right. That's right. An opportunity to play against the best players in the country. And to be honest with you, I lacked a little bit of confidence in high school. You know, when when you're on a football team that loses that much, even though you kind of know you're good, you don't really know how good you actually are. And I didn't get that verification until that summer after my senior year when I was playing in the New Jersey State All-Star game, the North-South game, and I got a chance to start that game. And all the guys that I read about that, that made state championships, I got out there and I got a chance to butt heads. And I was like, wait a second. I'm just as good, if not better, than all these guys. So that's one of the ways I ended up at Iowa State was maybe a little bit of lack of confidence and the desire to play against some of the better players in the country. Did you go back to your high school teammates and say, well, after this now, I know I'm not the problem. You guys are sucking. (laughs) Uh, I didn't have to tell them that I was the problem. They kind of knew that. But uh, they all were, were great, and they supported me 100%. And That's awesome. Not shockingly, I was the only one from my, uh, <laughs> yeah. my team to actually go on and play, you know, serious college football. Yeah, but are there any guys doing, like, uh, doctors or lawyers or, or business owners from that group? Because, I, I, you know, I played with a few guys that weren't going to make it to the next level in football, but they definitely, uh, you know, went on to do other things in life that were yeah. pretty big as well. We definitely had a lot of successful uh, yeah. people. I mean, my graduating class was 360 kids, which was very large back then. And uh, we had a lot of successful guys. Unfortunately, we lost the, some guys in uh, 9-11, you know, because that was just recently happened and maybe reflect back on that. But uh, a lot of fond memories from, from mm-hmm. high school in general, not just football, but wrestling. And, and everybody with Facebook these days, everybody tries to keep in touch. And they all followed my career. And an interesting tidbit, I went to Watch on Hills High School. We've had 
three players go to the NFL from Watchung Hills High School in the 70s, 80s, and me in the 90s, right? We all played the same position at wow. left guard. Oh, that's the way to That's where you want to go to play left guard. If you want to play left guard in the league. And lose a whole shitload of games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And one play for the Denver Broncos, Billy, Billy Ard, who I played with his brother in high school, played and started for the Giants when they won the Super Bowl and the Bill Parcells, and then I got an opportunity, obviously, with the Dolphins and the Redskins. So. Did you know those guys before that or did you just realize it after the fact? I knew Billy Ard because his brother – his younger brother was a senior when I was a sophomore or junior. And it was a big deal because he actually got a scholarship to go on his brother's reputation to go to Boston College. And I remember I was, uh, I think it was my senior year, I was getting ready to work out for Iowa State. And he came back and he was like, man, I'm third team rush in. And in high school, I was like, man, that sounds pretty good. Until I got to college, I was like, oh, man, this kid's a scrub. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. I don't mean that in a negative way. He's not a scrub, but I know. he wasn't I know. making the impact that he came back and acted like he was. So. Well, we know, man. We all know that, you know, you had an outstanding career at Iowa State. And that's and in 1990, you know, the, the Dolphins selected in the second round, right after taking Big Webb, Richmond Webb, in the first round. Um, did you know Richmond at all before that point? Or, and how quickly did you guys become, like, bonded like you were from every since I've known you guys, you guys are so close to each other and becoming that one, two points. You know, the dolphins have, haven't been able to replace, honestly. You know, my, my journey to the NFL was probably slightly a little different than Richmond's. He was arguably and, and honestly the number one offensive lineman coming out of, of college that year. And I remember, you know, you read all the, the college books, the NFL draft books coming in my senior year, back when it was a 12 round draft, I was rated as best as a fifth to seventh round pick. And that pissed me off. I thought I was better than that, of course. So I worked my tail off, had a great senior year, went to the combine, and that's the first time I met Richmond. And I had read about Richmond, you know, through the senior year and that kind of stuff. And I was looking forward to meeting this guy to figure out who he was. Now, Richmond and I, neither one of us made the All-American team. And I remember we were sat in the stands in Indianapolis and we're looking at some of the guys, all the guys that made the All-American team. And we're both looking at each other like, man, that guy's not that good. He's not a good athlete. He can't run. He can't do it. All those things, and we, we kind of just hit it off right there. I had no idea that the Dolphins were going to draft both of us, particularly all that went wow. on our draft. I don't know if Richmond tell, told you the story about drafting that year. And our draft, 1990, was the first year that juniors were allowed into the draft. And I actually was in New York, in Madison Square Garden, at the draft for draft. They had my draft party there. Because I was supposed to be a first-round pick. I, by the end of the combine, I was the number one guard rated in the country and the number three offensive line overall. So, you know, there's always five, six linemen going the first round. We did no problem. So the day of the draft, I go down to the draft floor, and I got a chance to meet Junior Sale for the first time. And there's a ton of controversy swirling. Junior was coming out of USC. He was going to go to Tampa Bay at number four, but he didn't want to go. He was not going to go to Tampa Bay. So he came out on ESPN that morning and said, if Tampa Bay drafts me, I'm going back to school. Well, we all knew that San Diego at number five needed an offensive lineman. They were, they were, every draft board had Richmond Webb going number five. And that morning, Shula had called me and said, hey, first of all, he said, how much do you weigh? Because they had never had a 300-pound lineman. So I told him at 305, he's like, can you think you can handle the, the heat down there? I said, absolutely. He said, well, Richmond's going to go number five to San Diego. So at number nine, we're going to take you. But you got to wow. keep waiting to check. I was like, cool. So I'm on cloud nine that Shul's going to take me. I know I'm going to the top ten. Ecstatic, right? Well, then, like I said, Junior comes out and says, I'm not going. So San Diego has a decision and Tampa Bay has a decision. Does Tampa Bay take Junior Seau and risk him going back? They're on the clock. What do they do? They don't take him. They take Keith McCants, linebacker out of Alabama. Alabama. San Diego's yeah. on the clock, wow. and they're saying, wait a second. We need an offensive lineman, but Junior Sales, they're a kid from our backyard. Yeah. So they take – He can still take classes <laughs> and play, right? <laughs> so they end up taking Junior wow. Seau, and then Miami's shocked that Richmond's there, so they take Richmond. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm not going there, so I'll go somewhere else. And as you know, George, uh, OJ, you're sitting there and pick goes by, pick goes by. And I had visited other school, uh, other teams. I remember being out in San Francisco. They had the last pick in the first round. And I was in George Seifert's office 
two weeks before the draft. And he's like, there's no, I don't even know why we had be out here, Keith. There's no way you're going to be on the board when we, when we select 30, 30th that year. Last pick. Right, right. Before the two teams came so in. Yeah. In my back pocket, I was like, well, at least I'll be a 49er. Worst case, yeah. Get up there and guess who they select? Running back Dexter Carter from Florida State. Florida State. I'm like, what the wow. hell? I couldn't believe it. So now my whole world is turned upside down because I have no clue where I'm going to be going. All those teams that had seen before who said you'll never be there. Obviously, I don't want to say they lied to me, but they didn't tell me the truth. Well, maybe they believe themselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I know. We've All seen the that. that came out really, really kind of threw everything up in the, in the air right there. But I was ecstatic. I was actually, if you've ever been to Merritt Marquis in New York, it's like an embassy suite hotel, so you can kind of look down and walk in a square around. I was walking. I was on the opposite side of my suite, and my agent came out and was like, hey, phone's for you. Because I'd been walking my mom, and I was discouraged. She was like, hey, don't worry. Wherever you go, you're going to be great. You've been great on every level. Just work hard and you'll be great. And I came in. Always she, could count on mom, man. I know. She was always there. She always is there to support. And I came in and talked to Shoes. And he's like, hey, I never thought that I could get you both. But we are ecstatic to have you. Wow. Yeah. So, that is awesome, man. I never knew that, that story, Shoes. That is great stuff. I've never, I've never heard that before, man. That is amazing. And it was we great. got both of you guys. We got two first round picks. Yeah. For the price of one. Yeah. Price <laughs> it worked out okay. Price for one. He threw that in there, Juice, did he? For the price of one, Richmond. Richmond's buying dinner. That's what's going on here. That's awesome. Well, listen, we can't talk Keith Sims without talking Richmond Webb, and we'll we'll talk plenty of Webby here as we already have started to. And we definitely can't talk about both of you guys without discussing the epic battles against the Buffalo Bills defense. You know, um, and there are so many of them. From what I understand, there's a number of different stories to note. We're going to get into a couple of those. But one of them came your rookie season. And what we <laughs> – you know where we're going with this? It was in the playoffs, right? The division went out of the playoffs. From what we were told is uh, you guys as a lineman, you took a – you got transportation to the stadium. But you took a limousine. Okay. And maybe a couple players from the Bills saw you guys getting out of that car and, and took issue with it. They, they did. I thought you were going to a different story. Oh. Well, point. you can bring that one up, too. We won't yeah, right. <laughs> I, I will. And I, I don't know if that was actually the playoff game or the last game that we played in the, the second game we played the season. But we took a limo because it was there at the hotel. I was one of the guys. I mean, Danny, as you know, OJ, he always got to the stadium before anybody else. And it was a race. We always tried to beat him, but there was no way we were going to beat Dan. Couldn't do it. And I always liked to get there early. Part of my routine was to get there early, get my ankles taped. I wanted to walk out on the field. I wanted to kind of just absorb and take it in. So there was a bunch of us who used to just hop in cabs. Well, happened we were in Buffalo, and there was a limo up front. And the driver's like, hey, I'll take you. And me being, you know, conservative with money, I was like, hey, it's cheaper for us all to chip in and take this one <laughs> ride in this limo. <laughs> it would be to have four or five cabs. It's like Uber Pool now. Absolutely. So we just <laughs> hopped in. We honestly didn't think anything of it. Didn't even think about <laughs> fans who were going to pull up and who were going to say something. But obviously it got back to some of the Bills' defensive line. They thought we were big time in it, thinking we were better than anybody else. Look at the Dolphins taking a, a limo to the game. <laughs> and they tried to, to try to use it as motivation to beat us. But that's not the worst one. I guess what even – and this is the same year in my rookie year. We had to go back up to Buffalo, and we had to play him in the snow game up there, right? And I had done a lot of media. So I was doing an interview in Miami, okay? In Miami, I was doing an interview, and I was talking about the Bills' defense and some of the things we were going to do and blah, blah. Well, they got a copy of the tape somehow. So we're literally in the huddle before the first snap – and Bruce Smith is pointing over at me, and Daryl Talley's pointing over me, and, and Biscuit, da-da. and they're John, and we go up there, yeah, rookie, we heard you were blown off your mouth. We're going to show you what the Bills' defense is about. Because I was like, we can do things against the Bills. We can definitely run the football. You know, we can pass protect. It's going to be a challenge. I wasn't disrespecting anybody. But once again, we all know, but we use every tidbit as motivation, and I gave them a bunch of bulletin board material before that so luckily the funny part was it was snowing so they didn't have great traction so I was laughing halfway through it like ha 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 you're not as good as you normally are because I know where the play is going and you don't so it was still a tough game and unfortunately lost it was a great game but uh, over the years 
we all became friends and, and have a lot of respect. But obviously, they were great, great players and great, great teams. Yeah, that's, that's too funny, man, because you think about nowadays, man, that information would be sent to them immediately, mm-hmm. you know? Right. They had to find that information and make it bulletin board material and use it as that motivation back then. But nowadays, with all the recorders and right away in Twitter, they were like, Keith Sims is saying that they're going to run all over the Buffalo Bill defense. Which yeah, has there was a plant. There had all a the plant in Miami. I'm convinced somebody sent that up to him. There was a oh, plant. Sure. <laughs> so, so, Keith, though, this shows this is a this is an industry veteran here, Juice, because that was next on our list. We were absolutely oh, going to yeah. bring up that story. Cause, well, oh, Richmond yeah. told that story. Richmond told, and he was saying that those guys were like taking turns trying oh, to get yeah. over here. <laughs> they were knocking each other out of the way to line up over me, and, and I don't <laughs> I don't think I gave up a sack that game either. But like I said, thank goodness my day would have been so much harder if the field had been totally clean. And, you know, we're still rookies. We're still learning. We held our own. We did it, We did as best as we could. And um, it was just a fun experience. It was fun. Now, Bruce didn't say anything. Bruce didn't say anything like in the pregame, Keith. Did he, while you guys were standing there, he didn't, like, look at you or, like, point at you or make it look like I'm, you're the one I'm looking at, 69. I'm coming for you. Oh, no, 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 no. He held it back. And it's no, funny. Uh, Bruce and I became teammates later in our careers when we both played with right. the Reds. In Washington. And you know what? He brought that up to me in the <laughs> remember when you were a rookie you did this sims and i was like oh <laughs> that's hilarious that he remembered get that away from it. Struck a nerve. <laughs> you struck a nerve with the greatest pass rusher in the history of the game man yes but it was nice to have him on my sideline trust me versus having to deal with him all the time so. i bet it was i bet it was so listen we're, we're you know spent a lot of time talking about the guys that you had to block but let's talk about who you were blocking for what was it like? You know, I know you wanted to get in as that first-round pick and, 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 and amazing story on draft day. But you had to know they don't draft two linemen, you know, the way that they did without bringing you in for a purpose. And that purpose was to protect the franchise, was to protect Dan Marino. Give us a look inside the huddle, so to speak. What was it like playing for Danny? And what kind of um, responsibility did you feel being put in that position to block for, you know, the greatest pure passer in the history of the game? Well, I think when you're young, you don't understand right away the gravity of the situation. And we got into our first meeting camp, and they installed Richmond I right in there. I think Roy Foster was holding out, or, or Dellenbach was holding out at that particular time. So they put us in the starting lineup. And we obviously, we all know who Dan is. Walks in the huddle, pulls out Hella's hand, and shakes it, and says, hey, yeah, I'm Dan Rios, what you know. <laughs> and it just kind of took us at ease. We're like, that's fine. And I think the good thing is when we showed and we had a lot of practice, mini camps, we had an extra rookie camp, training camp, John Sandusky, our offensive line coach, when we went through preseason, the murderers row that we faced, I mean, opening up in Chicago, playing Philadelphia, Minnesota, Denver, we played every snap of preseason, except for three plays. So we got ready to play and get ready for opening day. But I think it was... Um, it was such an honor and a privilege to block for Danny. And I think as, as we matured as players, we really understood how great of a quarterback we had. You know, at first you take it, you think, you know, you'll come from college, right? And have any great quarterbacks to Danny. Or high school, or high school. Or high school, yeah. So now I'm finally around great players. And you just think everybody in the NFL is that good. Right. That's not the case. You know, everybody's not a Hall of Fame quarterback. So it was, it was a true honor to, to block for Dan and be part of that organization and that team. And, and we took it, I, I got to be honest, Richmond and I took it very serious. It wasn't going to be our guy that hit Dan. And nobody on that offensive line ever wanted to be the guy that let his defender get through to hurt number 13 because he was our team. We knew if we kept him upright and gave him an op- you know, just a few seconds, we have an opportunity to complete a pass, make a touchdown, or win a game. We had that level of confidence in him because he demanded it and he showed it. And it was, it was amazing. It was such an eye-opening experience for me. Again, you know, I didn't win in high school. I was a 500 football team in college. And then my rookie year, we won 12-4. and four. I mean, that was heaven for me to be around a winning team and players that you could actually win, that I wasn't the only one working hard, it was, it was incredible. Yeah, how was your self-confidence at that point, Keith? <laughs> well, you're, you're starting over again. It, it grew over the years. The first year was great. You, you're just taking everything in. You're learning it. You're enjoying the winning part. 
but you really don't know how to be a true pro, it takes a year or two to really get in the game. How do you, how do you manage your body in the off season? How do you study? How do you watch film? All those things you have to learn. And, you know, we look at back on it now, our rookie year, and great guys, love them both to death. But we got no help from Delhi or Roy Foster. Roy <laughs> was not happy that I took his position. So Roy would be 20, 30 yards away. He wasn't doing a rep. He wasn't doing anything. He was the last year's contract. He was going to go somewhere else. And Chocolate Thunder, Roy and I are great friends. So I got no problem. But as a rookie, I'm like, we got no help from the veterans. They were not about helping us be better offensive line. Keith, isn't it crazy, man? People don't realize that, you know, these young guys are coming in to take their livelihoods. And some guys aren't going to be the best teammates. They want to be the buddies, but as teammates, they're like, man, you know, I got wife, kids, whatever at home, and I got these young two first-rounders, really, if we think about it, coming in here trying to take my livelihood, you know? And it's, Fighting it's, with it's football, weird how that works out. Yeah. Fighting clearly on the wall. It's a tough situation. And, and when you're a rookie, you don't get that. You thought, hey, we're on the same team. Everybody's going exactly. to help you. Oh, no, no, no. Since we were starting and we were taking reps in scout team. Come on. Your starters yeah. doing a scout team? Because they're backwards. And Sandusky was like, hey, well, you guys can use the extra reps. Right. So yeah, thinking they, they there wasn't a lot of trying to take their job. They had taken it. It, it really wasn't. It, so, they I knew mean, it, yeah. done. it was good and it was bad. But like I said, I've got no problem with both those guys. They're great guys. They ended up being great teammates, and we're all friends to this day. And, and I understand, it must have been a very difficult position because they both had success with the organization. Roy had been a pro bowler for the Dolphins years before, so he had that level of success and that level of excellence. And then – hey, they just brought two young guys in, so they're going to move you out. I mean, it's part of the game. Yeah, no doubt. And and so now, listen, you said how disarming Dan was. We've heard other people. Mark Dixon said the same thing. He comes in, introduces him, and Dixon's like, yeah, no shit, you're, you're Dan yeah, Marino. Exactly. <laughs> but but uh, and, and you guys didn't want to be the ones to have him get knocked down. Anybody who's ever watched the Dolphins game has seen the fiery Dan Marino. Looks like he's cursing out this guy or that guy, certainly a lot with, with the receivers, and particularly with Duper and Clayton. I, I know those guys jawed at each other a lot. Did you ever have a moment where, where Dan's fire and ire was directed your way? You know, I think Dan was, was too smart to do that necessarily, and, but he was very tactful. He would often come over if anybody flashed, and he would be like, whose guy was that? You know, that's what he would ask. He wouldn't yell or scream or he would patch it. Hey, let's go. Let's pick it up. I just need a couple more seconds. But he would encourage the offensive line rather than yell it. I mean, you you know the stories of him, Duper, Clayton, Irving Fryer, Keechak. They all jawed back and forth. But he didn't have that relationship with us as offensive line. I and mean, it was more, I need you guys. Keep them clean. Pick it up and that kind of thing. But, but, but hey, don't let anybody in either. I mean, it was, right. it was obvious. And then as soon as he walked away, of course, our coach would come over to me. That's who <laughs> it was the coach, not Danny. That's great. Juice, now you mentioned Delhi. And we're talking about the <laughs> so so Troy Strafford was in the tank and he said Danny was watching film one time and he's like, Troy, you need to get over there and chip help Delhi's ass out because <laughs> so... help me more so, Bruce. Yeah. He might right. not have said it to you guys directly, but he was gonna let somebody know to bring me a little oh, help here. Yeah, we definitely knew that. Yeah, I mean, he didn't yell at the lineman because, you know, he knew that's where his bread was buttered for the most part to, to protect his ass, you know. He yelled at us on the outside because, I mean, we weren't blocking anybody. You know, he wanted he wanted to stay in good grace with the lineman, and I get it. It's a, it's a, it's a business decision for him. I get it. And, and, and obviously, you guys are bigger than him, too. We were, we were smaller than him, so it makes sense. And when we're young, he doesn't want to, you know, people are saying talk about the, the mental psyche of quarterbacks or receivers. You can't, as an offensive line, let one bad play turn into a string of bad plays because your whole offense will shut down. So I think he was smart enough. Shul was smart enough. Even Sandusky, offensive line coach, was smart enough that, hey, forget the bad play. Let's focus on what happened. Let's fix it and let's move on quickly. We can't allow you to be mentally weak. Yeah, you mentioned that. You know, Danny obviously wasn't the only icon in Miami when you got there. You know, I mean, let's talk about coach, man. Coach was, was the man, man. You know, how, how demanding was he as a coach? And we, we've heard a few stories, man. And I'm going I'm to come back to that. But let's start off with how demanding was he as a coach? And, you know, you talk about Johnson Dusky giving you, you know, all those reps. But, I mean, coach had to be part of that, that scenario, too, to make, make him do that as well, right? Yeah, I won't talk about the 12-minute run because that's something. <laughs> Everybody talks about a 12-minute run. Just to show you my relationship with, with shoes, um, 
you know, you get drafted and they fly you down to Miami. We had mini camp the next, you know, drafts on Saturday the next day. So they have to send you for a physical. So I'm getting sent from, we were back in St. Thomas, up to Fort Lauderdale to get my physical. They send me up there with one person. Guess who they send me with? The worst person they could have probably sent me with. And that's Mark Clayton. <laughs> so, so we all got our physical, right? I'm only we trying to think. be back at, a, you know, one o'clock for the meeting. So no we're shot. doing our physical. Clayton's like, hey, let's go to lunch. Get something. I'm like, whoa, no, we can't do that. We got to be back. His door. Don't worry about it. It's just <laughs> So what am I going to do? How am I going to argue? He's in control. We get back about 20 minutes late. Shula says nothing, nothing, not a word to Clayton. I get cursed up and down. What the hell? You're a damn rookie. What are you doing? You need to be here. I mean, it was unbelievable. I didn't know what to do. I was trapped, but I took it. And then he put his arm around me and said, go to work. We need you to be good. <laughs> and that's how Shula was. He, the thing I respected the most about Coach Shula, and this goes back to when I signed my contract. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Richard and I signed a couple days apart. He actually signed, I think, three days before me. He was the first round pick. I think he got a five-year contract. They wanted to give me a four-year contract. My agent was adamant about a three-year contract. So I held out. We had a week of rookie camp, and I was holding out, holding out, holding out. I had actually come down to Miami, and we were just about ready to agree to terms. So I drove to St. Thomas. Practice was over. Walk in that old facility. I see Richmond in, in the training room. He's got ice bags all over him. I'm like, hey, you okay, dude? He's like, hey. They're killing me. Have you signed? I said, no. He said, get out of here. I don't know where I'm in Miami. I hop in my rental car and I just hit 95 going north. I drove all the way to Oakland Park because that's the first hotel I could see <laughs> from the highway. And I get a room, wait for my agent to fly in the next day, come down to Miami to sign my contract with him. And Shula curses me up and down because he heard I was in the facility and I wasted practice time and I wasted his time by not being there on time because I took an extra day to relax. Wow. Signed the contract and he looked me dead in the eye and he said, okay, what kind of player do you want to be? And I said, hey, I want to be a pro bar. And he said, I'm going to hold you to that every day moving forward. Put my, his arm around me and said, let's go to work. And we worked and we worked and he rode me, OJ. He rode me for three years, <laughs> three hard years because he knew I had it in me. Rich was blessed enough to make a Pro Bowl as a rookie. Took me three seasons to become a Pro Bowl. But in that meeting, and people talk about the Pro Bowl, and I know it's gotten watered down, very watered down compared to when we played. You know, back when we played, each team got two votes. The head coach got one, and the entire team put together a ballot. So when you were voted as a Pro Bowler, it was really something special. Yeah. And I remember him, we're in the team meeting, and he's – going to the Pro Bowlers, Dan Marino, Richmond Webb, and he paused. And he looked up at me and he said, hey, go call your mom because you're a Pro Bowler now. That's what's and up, I man. was like, wow. That's that cool. That was so meaningful. <clears throat> that was probably as great a day of when I got drafted, when I, when I made my first Pro Bowl, because I had set that mission and it took me three years to get there, but I was a Pro Bowler. And that was, that was something special. Yeah, I guess, I guess Shoof was just, you know, he had that tough love, man, but he, but one thing he did have was love for his players, yep. you know? Cause I, I mean, we were, we were talking to Stu and I said, you know, Stu, I want to hear a couple of things that you know about, about Keith Samson. He's talking about a, you know, you guys, a, a trip where you guys were headed to Tokyo to play a, you know, <laughs> a preseason game. And <laughs> you had, you had a, you had a layover in Seattle, you had to refuel the plane yes. and they were, they couldn't find you. And a former and, and a, another, I guess, Iowa State teammate, former, not, not your teammate, but a guy that went to Iowa State with you, they couldn't find your ass. Yep. And, uh, and, and so the plane was late. No, let's go to the truth. Yeah, listen, I want to hear that. What's the real story? That's what I'm getting at. What is the real story? Was, was, was Gene Williams. He was another offensive lineman from Iowa State. They drafted me. Was he a guard? Yes. Big butt. Remember Gene? Big butt? Gene and I are great friends. We talk, you know, every week. So we, I, I got him to Iowa State. I brought him on his recruiting trip to Iowa State. I was his host. So we go way back. So they give me the itinerary on the plane of what we're doing. And it said, Seattle, we have, I think it was an hour and a half stopover, right? So it's on the itinerary. So we land in, in Seattle, and everybody is going to this one concourse to try to get some food. So Gene and I are like, hey, let's go to the next one over. We'll be able to get there and get back. Because we got no problem. We got plenty of time. 
So we go do that. We come back to the terminal. Now, we did not know because we had headphones that they made an announcement on the plane that they were not going to do the hour and a half layover. They were going to do a shorter one. Oh. So they changed it verbally. So we're still going off the itinerary. We get back, plane's gone. Do you know the sinking feeling in my stomach when I come back to the gate and there's nobody there and I look out and the plane's gone? They literally had gone, gotten taxi formation. Shula didn't care. He's like, he can pay for his own damn plane ticket to Tokyo. The only reason they came back was because the air traffic controller allowed them to come back to the gate and pick us up and still get in the same spot in line. And of course, that was my first fine under the <laughs> What was that, walk, that walk? Was there a walk of shame? Yeah, the, the gauntlet, you had to walk down that, that. Oh my God, from first class on back? The walk of shame was, was even worse. Gene was typically always kind of on the fringe of being overweight. And I'm one of the two 300 pounder guys on the team. And we went to get food. So you know we were the butt of jokes that entire <laughs> Oh, Lord. <laughs> Please tell me, was Lewis Oliver in there? Going to what, get food. What yeah. did Lewis Oliver have to say? Was he there? Did Lewis <laughs> oh, and all the- <laughs> oh, my goodness. They just, they just, they killed us. I mean, they, they literally killed us. It was, it was very embarrassing. Uh, went to a different concourse to get food, man, and lay for the plane. Oh, uh, that's, well, that's, that's, that's Tokyo. That's, this is not a game in no. Atlanta, Juice. This is, oh, no. this is Tokyo. Right. They got another 10 hours of flight left. You yes. know? So. Long trip was a great trip. It was a lot of fun, but whew, that was hard to live down for quite some time. It was worse for Gene because right. know, that was a starter. Gene was the seventh, eighth lineman on the team at that point. And him and Shula butted heads and never got along. And he ended up getting traded to uh, Cleveland after that. So you were kind of Mark Clayton in this scenario when he was a young <laughs> Keith Sims. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But again, I was following the itinerary. That, mm. yeah. you know, surely, Keith, Keith, let's, let's, let's think that. about it now. You're the only two that weren't there. There was actually, there was one other person I can't oh, okay. remember who was. I think it was a staff member or something like that. Oh, you know, yeah, they, they got left. Yeah. They, they didn't matter. We were the ones that were in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, it was, if it was me or Priest, you know, we were getting left. So that, right, you did, and you wouldn't go to Tokyo from there. You could just go back no, to Miami or wait for the plane to come back to refuel, right? Or polish up my resume. Three days later. <laughs> could you imagine the cost of a plane ticket to get to Tokyo? Oh, no. man. Not, last not, minute? Not a last minute. Back then, we made no money? Yeah. Right. No. So, Juice, I'm going completely off script here, but since he talked about Gene Williams and them getting clowned for, for – for going to get food and missing the plane. So Bobby Monica was in the tank. And uh, so, so now, you know, I almost feel badly juiced for guys who come in later. The early guys didn't have, have the benefit now that Keith has of everybody having told stories about him here for the last two years. Right. But Bobby talked about how the weigh-in, and Lewis Oliver talked about the same thing, how weigh-in was almost like, like Saturday night, you know. Must-see TV. It was, it was must-see TV, sir. And, and he, oh, not <laughs> he talked you, about – <laughs> yeah, yeah not, not for him. But you and Richmond were, if there was must-see TV, you guys definitely had the primetime spot, and everybody couldn't wait to see you guys on there. And Bobby had some line about spaghetti and bowling balls for dinner or something of that nature. But we, <laughs> Talk about those weigh-ins. Wait, you know, that was a, a shocking experience when I first got to the NFL, or my years in Miami was the fact that they were so strict. Carl Tassif was the, the weight, the scale <laughs> – crazed sergeant i mean it was just insane and to have them assign a weight the the the, 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 the thing that was just so maddening about your weighing weight and we wait in thursday mornings you had to make your assigned weight and the crazy thing is you would walk from the scale after starving yourself and there were many years there was a there was an actual entire season i played for the dolphins and i would not eat food from wednesday morning until after weigh-in i would practice I usually went to a movie at the Western theaters because I could get a chance to sit and not have to worry about, because you don't want to sit in your house with a fridge. Right. Go to bed hungry <laughs> just to make my weight. That's get on that crazy. scale and walk to my locker and have three or four egg McMuffins and a half gallon of orange juice. And so you put all the weight right back on that you starved yourself. It was just, it was so frustrating. And there was not, not an inch of bulge. I mean, it was nothing. And it was, I think if they had a digital scale, so let's say if your weight was 300, if you were 300.4, you were okay. But if you were 300.5, they would make you go lose that 0.1% and get under. Wow. I mean, it was just, 
it was amazing. It had nothing to do necessarily with your ability to play your position. I understand if it got out of control and it affected your ability to play the game at the highest level. But it was just an arbitrarily weight that they assigned you without sitting down and talking to you, without figuring out what works best for you. There was no give or take whatsoever. It was, it was probably the most frustrating part of being a Miami Dolphin, especially early. Now, after my second Pro Bowl, I was able, or first or second, I was able to really get my weight where I can control it with no problem and I could then eat on Wednesdays and those kind of things. Have a small meal. Never right. binge. Right. Still in the back of your mind, you worried about, I don't want to be overweight and have to get in the hot tub. Do you remember St. Thomas, OJ? Oh, had that, well, I was there for one camp. Yep. That one hot tub. One. DJ <laughs> Jr. in there. Me and Dan was in there some mornings. I mean, staring it. It was the hot tub crew you had. And it was like four or five of us that were in there trying to lose weight to, to weigh in, just to put it back on. It was it was ridiculous. I you know, and that's a, that's a funny thing you say that, Keith, man, because after weigh-in, everybody put on five to ten pounds. Absolutely. Remember the amount of food that we had on Thursday mornings? <laughs> I mean, that was one of the chores rookies had to do was bring breakfast sandwich, right. bring donuts. And bring, so we just ate all that food. I mean, kind of crazy, but it's <laughs> necessary evil, I guess. So how much were you so concerned about making weight for uh, not having to pay the fine, and how much was it not wanting to deal with the shit in the locker room? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, at that point, I didn't care about the locker and stuff. I'm too cheap to pay a thousand bucks. Right. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Down? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> and I had my good buddy, God bless his soul, man. I miss you, that. Reggie Rowe. Reggie, he was the king of the scale. He just struggled his entire life in the NFL with that. Reggie gave us little water pills. I don't even remember those. Juice with the little Yeah, it's going pill. back. Oh, yeah. You take a water pill and you could pee out five, ten pounds of water, then you're cramping up the next day. <laughs> right. you know, so you got to be careful. So, so some of those tricks, and Reggie taught me that trick and I tried that a little bit. I'm like, no, nah, that's not worth it. I'll just choose not to eat or something. But it, it's just, it was just crazy. It was just what's, what's so crazy, Keith, is like, our punter is struggling with weight, yeah. and why is it a problem? Yeah. Oh, he 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 punts into the at into the stratosphere. That's all we. That's all that matters. He's not gonna make any tight. He's got what? I don't get why. For him to have that on his mind is is oh. crazy. That he has to worry about something like that. I get like wide receivers or running backs. You know, especially you talk about your position. I think the the bigger you're still quick. You're you're stronger. You some positions it matters, but. A lot of positions, it did not matter what your weight was. And that was a real big focus for them. It really was. And it was such an eye-opening experience when I, when I went to play for the Redskins. And my offensive line coach is the Hall of Famer, Russ Grimm, one of the Hogs. He didn't believe in the weigh-ins. I had um, North Turner as a head coach. Great guy. Russ's weigh-in was, number one, make sure you have his breakfast sandwich order in the room for, <laughs> for film study. And then when you get to the scale, write your weight down. I was like, what, what, what do you mean, write, write, write your own weight down? You do it what? yourself? You me? And then it got cooler up north. OJ, I packed <laughs> on the pounds. Me and I, my other guard was Trey Johnson from Tampa. Oh, Trey was boy. 360 all day long. That's a big fella. And what was yeah. he writing down, Keith? What was he writing down? Oh, you know, Trey's actually lost some weight. He's a teacher now. He's doing well. He's doing well. well, well you, you too, you've lost a lot of weight as well. Oh, yeah, well it, I, you look great, I, man. You look yeah, great, bro. You know, I, unfortunately, when I got divorced, I, I gained a bunch of weight. And I look back on the pictures of me at, at Dan's Hall of Fame induction. I got a picture of me, Troy, and uh, Richmond in front of the stage. And Ooh. I look like I'm, I'm a biscuit away from 400 pounds in that picture. So. Yeah, you look great, bro. Kudos to you, man. You know, speaking of that, I mean, I got to, as a a young cat, I got to talk about the time I saw, and and I talked to Webby about this as well. I saw you and Webby in in that Mercedes SL500 convertible (laughs) headed to the game. Now, I don't know if it was yours or Webby's, man, but I I just think these dudes are 300-pounders in this convertible. It didn't didn't sit well with me. I wanted one because of that. But, I mean... Yeah, but, um, you know, when you're well. a big guy, you always think you can squeeze into little places sometimes. <laughs> I think we just, uh, we didn't realize how ridiculous we, we actually looked. And I got one better for you. We were at the, the Pro Bowl in Hawaii, and I can't remember who rented the car, but it was a two-seat convertible like that with the little bench back seat, and it's three of us in there. And it's me three, and, and Cortez Kennedy. 
Oh, <laughs> in this little, we look like the Flintstones out there. <laughs> who's sitting in the back seat? I want to know who's in. Yeah, <laughs> first time promo, so they have more promos in me. You know, I had a, a rookie again. I was like, oh my god. Oh man. Oh my god. That is funny. <laughs> oh, we're just. We sometimes we don't know when this when the saying enough is enough. Well, they didn't have the SUVs like they have now, though, man. The SUVs now. Yeah, you but there had to be something in between, Drew. So like, I get, they didn't have the SUVs, but <laughs> yeah, that's when Jeeps were coming out, and I know we, we wanted to look good. We wanted the, the hot looking car. It didn't matter how tight we were in there, you know. <laughs> the car looked good. The car looked great. Apparently, Jeep Williams had a Mazda Miata. And there were many days. Come on! I swear to goodness, where he would drive and I was in the passenger seat, and that was it. That was in it. a Miata. A Miata, yes. <laughs> we're we're I'm you're dumb. I mean, I'm speechless. Yeah, <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. I, I, I need a picture of that. If you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna text them and find out who's got a picture of that. Yes, I need a picture <laughs> of you guys in the Miata. That's fantastic. So, so listen, Keith. This, this is a, um, this question maybe is a little bit on the tougher side, but That's really, right. I want to ask it to give you an opportunity, um, only because it's been talked about a few different ways here in the tank. Richmond spoke about it, and we actually just had Jason Cole in the tank, and he spoke about it, and there was a moment that. Really, I think Jason felt harder than anybody, but he wrote a story. Literally. Uh, it, uh, yeah, he literally, um, uh, Gene took issue with what he wrote. But from what Juice knows, you know, um, and Richmond shared that Gene, Gene was not happy with this story that was written, felt like somebody was in his business and maybe off the record was talking to Jason and kind of uh, made that known in the meeting room. And Richmond tells the story and, and, and I bring it up only and it was funny the way Richmond told it because Richmond said he was kind of looking over at you and Richmond as if, you know, who told and, and Richmond was concerned because he said a big guy can't get whooped by a little guy. It doesn't look good so he really wanted to make sure that that gene knew he didn't say it but he's crazy gene atkins right talking about gene atkins <laughs> and uh and but he also um richmond said you know again forever having your back he said i don't believe keith said it i think gene thought keith said it but i don't believe he said it and since it's been talked about twice we wanted to give you the opportunity to discuss the story first of all for, for the record i didn't say it and this is what i told gene to his face I'm known in Miami. I've been quoted many, many times. I made that walk to Shu's office many, many times because of the things I said in the paper. I never said anonymous sources. I never said don't quote me. If I was going to say something in the paper, I was going to be man enough to put my name behind it. So it's sad. Which is all you can really ask for, I think, right? Really, it's sad that it happened because it did cause a, a big friction for a while. And Gene did try to come up and accuse me at one point. And Gene, we all thought Gene had a little screws. He was a little bit different when he came to, to Miami. I'm, I'm really sad to see him where he is today. And I hope he, yeah. he recovers. So no ill will to Gene whatsoever. And he was, a, outside of that, he was a good teammate. So I have a problem with him on that. But, you know, that's a dangerous thing sometimes where um, people will talk and not put their name behind it. And I learned, well, I never had to learn it. I just, I always attributed what I said, like I said, and dealt with the consequences of it by saying, you know, I'm on the record. I don't know if I've ever done an interview before football, high school, college pro, where I wasn't on the record as it was saying. And you can go back and look at all my years in Iowa State and high school. And even now, I'm going to talk about something. You have my name. Simple as that. Absolutely. You got you to gotta put your name on it, man. Absolutely. The other nine in the stuff, this, it just doesn't work. You know, and you and you you get more street cred in the locker room, man. And I always, you know, say that the locker room is kind of like a glorified prison. You got to earn your street cred, and then we we should we take showers where everybody's like butt naked, like wide open. You know, you you got all these you know bravado guys in there trying to you know show their manhood in there. But honestly, the most important thing is manning up to situations when it requires that, man. And that's 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 what it's all about, right there, man. And you got to look back on, and I don't remember if that was that was under. It's not under Jimmy or Shula. I don't remember. It was Coach Shula, I believe. Shula. Yeah, because so yeah. it was before I got there, so I think it was '95. So, so you have to look back on the history. I'm sitting there. I've been on the team four, five, six years. I'm a pro bowler for Miami at that point. I have a good career. Why the heck would I fear saying something about another teammate, particularly Gene? Gene I mean, no disrespect to him, but he was new on the team. Why would I fear that? Why would I have to hide behind, well, anonymous? I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And I don't know who said it. 
I really don't care. It didn't affect my life at all. So, I mean, it is what it is. I hear that, man. You know, let's get back to a little more football, man. There's some things that we like to do on the podcast, especially when, you know, now that we have this added, like, video element, mm-hmm. you know. So I'd like right now, Keith, if you would do this for me, would you would you break down this play? It's one of the key plays in your career. So take a look at this and, you know. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Get a kid and fans. You got to like that? You know you want to dance. So move out of your seat. Let's be rolling. Hold on. Okay. Yeah, I mean that was that was one of the I mean you had some great plays, man. And that was Pro Bowl worthy as well, man. I mean, talk about that, man. I mean, you and Big Web, I mean Zubaz, that was that was that was huge right there. People have to understand the timing back then. The, the Super Bowl shuffle from the Bears have come out. We thought we had the team to go and win the Super Bowl. So when they approached the team about doing this, we're like, okay, let's have a little fun with it. And that's all it was. Unfortunately, season didn't turn out the way we had hoped it would, and we didn't realize we would look as uh, crazy as we do. But <laughs> I have kids. They love playing that for Dan. <laughs> and, and I look back on stuff like that. I remember when um, uh, the film, Ace Ventura was being filmed and they offered Richmond and I a part. And we're like, we're not going to be in this stupid film. And Juice, yep. I, I chose the wrong film to do, huh? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you chose that. It, it, it was a lot of fun. We had a good time with it. And it's something that we can look back and laugh at. I would love it if they could bring back those Zubas because they were so comfortable. Yeah. Look crazy looking, but comfortable. So I think the Zubas are coming back. I still yeah. kept my original pair, but I think yeah. they're trying That's to. Still go. got some. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I held on to mine. I wish I kept. Hey, Keith, Camper, Bo Camper was on, and he, you know, he still gets. He he doesn't get recognized as a football player. He gets recognized for Ace Ventura. That's the only way. <laughs> I believe it. You know? That would have been fun to have. But again, when you're you're a dad, you understand it's fun to to show your kids something other than football where you're yeah. a little silly and, and you have some fun. So yeah. I can laugh at it a lot more now than I probably could, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So it's funny you say that though about your kids. Cause when we did, you know, we had Richmond break down a play as well and we put it on there. He was so embarrassed, but his kids came running up. He was sitting in his home office and it was all glass and they were like looking in. They, they recognized the song right away. I think they knew exactly. Uh, <laughs> all my funny. kids have seen it. So they laughed at it. Well, you've been, a really good sport man and i appreciate it keith uh, one of the things i wanted to talk about is um to me really just as interesting as you're on the field playing career post career you've got a lot of great things you've gotten into i know you're in the donut business for a while i don't know if you still are and then the whole rv thing came about so talk to us a little bit about kind of that journey post career for you okay well I, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur my dad was an entrepreneur so they gave me that kind of spirit and after playing football it was it was hard to think about a nine to five career, number one. And number two, I was physically beat up. I left football in a wheelchair. You know, I went from playing in Texas Stadium to getting a divorce and divorce falling apart and being in a wheelchair for six months. And talk about humbling and depression. I didn't know what that was like until I went through it, where I slept in my home theater for six months couldn't take a shower, couldn't even get to the second floor of my house. And then my marriage breaks up. So when I stumbled across Duncan, I remember trying to figure out, I've got a little bit of money to invest. What do I want to do? And my dad and I talked and he talked about, you know, franchising is good because it's kind of a business in a box. It's a little bit safer than opening up your own thing. And I went through a bunch of criteria and I looked at different things and I'm not a coffee drinker then. I'm not one now, but I like the product. I like the part that's part of someone's day every single day researched it and Duncan happened to be a great opportunity in South Florida and I I jumped in and I was still happy to be playing for the Redskins at the time the regional director who was in South Florida happened to be a huge Redskins fan I actually signed my franchise contract oh, wow. in, camp in, in uh, Virginia well, I hope so, they gave you a good deal for that they, they helped me out initially with a couple things but yeah. I thought I was being really smart I was not going to be there to manage the business so I hired I went out and hired a great guy who had the two top producing stores in South Florida. He had two stores and I opened up three stores, 
and I first year alone, I lost a hundred thousand dollars. That's how good oh, it was. Shit. <laughs> so it was a it was a steep learning curve. Yeah. Even Duncan, as great as a company as they are, they do a great job of teaching you how to make coffee and donuts, but not how to make money, right. manage a business. So I went through a lot of losses, but then we turned it around and, and, and did quite well. I was in Duncan for about a decade. And uh, then the time I got married and it was time to kind of move on. The economy started to tank a little bit. And I got the opportunity to be part of the Dolphin Broadcast team, which was a passion, a love of mine. I, I loved our time together on the Finsires, OJ. Yeah. Yeah. Every season, I'm sad that that's, well, I'm not part of that anymore. It was great to be connected back to the organization and back to the league and stay in it. And uh, that was part two to my career, that transition. And then um, my father-in-law passed away from cancer, and my parents live up here in Georgia. My sisters live up here in Georgia, and they were pulling our family to come up here because there was nothing holding us there besides that. And uh, we made the transition to Georgia. So part of that transition, I was still doing the Finsiders. And my wife was like, hey, let's get an RV. And I'm like, hey, you're crazy. Why would I get an RV? And she started dragging me to shows and thinking that this would be good for us, for our kids and everything. So she made the point of saying, well, if you're still doing the Finsiders, you got to fly down. I was literally flying down every single week. I would fly down on a Spirit Airlines flight morning. And if I could, I was taking the 11 o'clock flight back, got me back up to Atlanta at one o'clock in the morning, and I was back before my kids got in bed. So it worked out really well having the RV, and we started traveling in it, we're homeschooling our kids, and through that, we got attention within the RV industries because we're, we were one of the few minority families that RV'd, and they came to us and said, hey, we'd like to work with you. Yeah. And said, OJ, OJ, you know this, I fell in love with RV travel both for the sites that we get to see and things we get to do. I mean, been all over the country and parts of the world, but we never got to see anything besides the airport, the football stadium, and a hotel. I get to go do and see things. And with the injuries from football, it is an awesome way to travel. My wife drives, if my knee's acting up, my back's acting up, I'll just go chill on the couch and she'll take over the wheel. So we get to go where we are. We love it. Uh, And she's kind of a germaphobe. So the RV allows you to have your stuff with you. My bed's in that RV, my shower, my clothes. I don't have to pack anything. All I do is go hop in it and we can go besides food because we have That's our awesome. stuff in it. So that is awesome. It has been an incredible experience. <clears throat> and I'll tell you, I've learned so much with it. We, we took a trip, one of our first big trips, I guess it was four years ago, maybe five years ago. We went from Atlanta to Mount Rushmore and back. We did a two-week trip. And we happened to stop at Worlds of Fun. I don't know what that is. It's an amusement park in Kansas City. So we're sitting there and we're getting ready to hop in the RV and drive someone up. We were taking my mother-in-law's too. So we had two RVs. My wife's driving that one. I'm driving this one. And she said to me, she Two said, RVs, too. Yeah. She said, you know, aren't we close to Iowa State? I'm like, yeah, we're three hours away. She's like, well, why don't, why don't we go by? The kids have never seen it. I'm like, let me give them a call. So I'm driving the RV. I call Iowa State. Now, this is in the summer, right? So I get some of the athletic department. I was like, hey, I'd like to stop by. Can I get a tour? And you know what she said? We don't give tours in the summer. I'm like, oh, okay. So she said, well, what's your name? And I said, Keith Sims. She said, hold on. I'm driving. I'm thinking, oh, whatever. Nothing's going to happen. She comes back on the phone five minutes later and says, what time will you get here? Yeah, no shit. Uh, damn right. <laughs> and um, I said, we can be there at like three o'clock. She's like, okay. So we get there, right? And I had low expectation. OJ, they done, I mean, you want to talk rolled out the red carpet for us? It was an incredible tour. My wife had never been to Iowa State at that point. All through the facilities, head coach came out to it. It, his office, That's it was great. incredible. Weight room, which is everything, is the facilities are incredible now. Yep. I've got a picture of my littlest. He was probably, he's eight now. He was probably three. They gave him visors, backpacks, T-shirts. That's awesome. So he's in the weight room, got a picture of him. But my favorite picture, this is what I love about RVing, because RVing is not about the destination, it's about the journey. All those stops you make along the way. I've got a picture of two of my boys the, the Hall of Fame, which I was lucky enough to get inducted in Iowa State in 2006, they had all the names listed. And I've got a picture of them with their finger. They're like, Dad, there's your name. That's you, Dad. It Can't beat that. Heart. It just melts your heart. So, That's awesome. And the facilities there probably like it was at St. Thomas when you got there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, it's, now it's like Oklahoma. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. What they have. You have to, right? If you want to compete, you better be. Man, I love that. That yeah. RVing 
That RVM man is like unbelievable, man. And I, I tell you, we've got a one of our baseball coaches has an RV, and we play baseball tournaments in Florida, and it's the it's been a savior oh. for us. When we, you get rain delays or rain outs or between games, it's like the most amazing home away from home that you could ever have. It's crazy. Oh, it's incredible. And I'm, I was supposed to be in Alaska right now, but with COVID, we COVID, got home. Yeah. So hopefully next year. You're going to RV to Alaska? Absolutely. It'll be like a four-month trip. So You got to go wow. through. You got to hit Canada a little bit. And then... Absolutely. I'm, I'm working. And you know me. I'm trying to get sponsors all the way. So yeah, I know. That's right. <laughs> I've been working with GoRV in Canada to sponsor that. Um, yeah. You'll document all that, right? I'll document everything and we'll make commercials. Let's go. I love it. So, you know, it's funny you say all that, Keith, because pre-COVID, uh, Juice Preach and I have this vision of getting an RV and taking the fish tank on the road and visiting all these different Dolphins players who have retired in Florida, but just not in the South Florida area. And just maybe, and maybe creeping up into to Georgia, but you know, guys in the West coast of Florida, what have you, and hitting all these different guys, we may have to call the expert in juice and uh, yeah. relive your Finsiders days and, and, and let Keith spend a little extra time in the tank. So somebody could tell us how to RV the right way. Absolutely. It's not that hard, but um, definitely I could be your RV expert. You know? oh, we, no, we want your, vehicle <laughs> well, Jeez, i was getting there man you got or, or your sponsors at least a second both. one we need both uh, actually right now we just got a new sponsorship working with camping world uh this week, oh man it's a big uh, one yeah this week is the ultimate rv show you know marcus Simone is the president he's a big dolphin fan i actually ran into him a couple years ago he was going up to a suite in the same elevator and we chatted for a little bit and i said man you don't sell my brand i would have bought from you We've chatted on Twitter, and he invited us in, and we're, uh, we're now going to work with them for 12 months. We did some, some video for the Ultimate RV Show, which is showing this week uh, online. You can check it out and see my wife and I. We did some things on staying connected on the road and some things you need cool. to get set up. And you can always follow us. We're known as Soulful RV Family on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, just follow our adventures. We have a good time with it, and we homeschool. I'm looking forward to our next trip, which will be in the next uh, 10 days. I'm going to take my kids. We've been studying the solar system in in science, so I'm taking them to the Huntsville Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, Alabama, so we're going to go check it out. And do wow. Yeah, that's pretty How cool, because cool with that? the kids being homeschooled, they're they're always at home and in school when you're RVing around. Like you can still – it doesn't still it doesn't fun. stop you from doing what you want to do. Correct. So. And they're spoiled. I mean – you know, they've been and they, they love science centers for, for something that's a, a thing that they we've been in science centers from Miami all the way up to Maine. I mean, the things that they've done and seen, they take for granted. They're just like, hey, dad, we're going to the RV. Yeah, we're, right. We're going on a trip again. <laughs> you know, so. That's great. Tell us again, what was that handle? Soulful RV Soulful family? Soulful RV family. All right. We got to check that out. You're going to get a fish tank follow here before we're done. You already got a DJ Preach follow. There it is. Thanks. Sounds good. It's a great time. We have a lot of fun with it. So, Keith, you have been beyond generous with your time and your stories, man. It's been a good sport. We've had some fun with you here today, man. I'm so glad that we finally got you in the tank. There was no way we could have Richmond in, Juice, and not get Keith yeah, in absolutely. later. Absolutely, man. I've got to have that one-two punch. I'm pl- proud to have the career I had and be tied to my good buddy Richmond. It was, uh, it was so much fun having him as a partner to play with. I mean, it really was. It made being a rookie easier. It made going through things a lot easier. And also, it was a lot of motivation because when he became a pro I was like, I need to get my butt there. He can't. And you did. And it was great motivation for both of us. So. Hey, Keith, man. Thanks for your time, man. And, and man, thanks for diving in, man. We appreciate you, bro. Well, I appreciate the fish tank. So. Thanks for having me. You're now diving into the fish tank. Drive up in that fish tank. Who that? Sitting down with Seth Living. OJ. Juice, Juice man. Ooh, and this is strictly for them true fans. Yeah. Dog fans. Number one. one. Of course, y'all. This ain't no ordinary sports talk. Drive up in that fish tank. Go get your aqua orange, yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank. It's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank. Rockin' with OJ and Seth when we dive up in that fish tank. Uh, uh-uh. fans with attitude, okay. we got to dive up in that fish tank. Celebrate big or cry hard. Leave it all on the field, we gon' try hard. Old school, a new school, mix it in. Feeling like we up close when we listening. Dolphins tales, 
in Miami is the deep end. We vibing with our favorite players, no secret. We get with Seth and McDuffie, bringing up stars we never heard to the public. Bet we love it, Dolphins fans never budget. We loyal to the team, whether happy or we upset. We be like, what's next? Don't switch the subject, you know it's all about them fans. And if you ready for that water, time to dive in. Don't switch the subject, you know it's all about them fans. And if you down with Dolphins Nation, time to dive in. Don't switch the subject, you know it's all about them fans. You looking at that fish tank, it's time to dive in. Go get your aqua orange, yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank. It's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank. Rapping with OJ and Seth, time to dive up in that fish tank. Don't fail with attitude, we run the devil in that fish tank.